good morning and welcome to the Gym Owners Fitness Business Podcast, proudly sponsored by FitRec Fitness Registration for Fitness Professionals. Well, I'm pretty excited about today's episode because last week, as you know, I caught up with Jeff Hampton and Bobby Verdane, and today I'm lucky to catch up with Richard Sinot. Now, Richard... Bridget is part of the Active Entities Consulting Team who launched in 2020 to help health club owners throughout the United States. Now, Richard is the most successful and experienced leader in the industry that I have ever come across. He has over 40 years of experience successfully operating entities throughout New England. Rich has led industry giants such as the Weymouth Club. Now, I have to say, when I entered the fitness industry back in 2003, this was one of the clubs that I actually kept an eye on and inspired me throughout my journey. There's also been the Works, Citadel, Health Point, and Upper Valley Aquatic Centre to nationally recognise prominence. His achievements in navigating both for-profit and non-profit facilities have been recognised as he's been a featured speaker at industry conferences, written numerous articles for business and trade publications, and served as president of the New England Health and Racket Sports Association, overseeing 400 facilities throughout the region. Good morning, Richard. Good morning, and I have to say that introduction was great. I'll be sending my $20 to you uh, tomorrow morning. <laughs> You're very welcome. I must admit, I got the majority of information off that amazing website that you guys have launched. It's full of some fantastic information, and I love how you're also listing your events on there and also listing you know, other professionals that people can get in touch with. So you guys are very open to collaboration, which is fantastic. What I have to ask you, Richard, to kick off the podcast this morning is, obviously you're extremely excited about the new event that's happening in the next couple of days, but tell me, how have you been coping and what have you been doing to help other health club owners, let's say over the last six months, throughout you know, what was happening throughout COVID and as we open our doors to get our consumers back through the front doors there? Boy, that's a that's a a loaded question with a lot of different directions to go. So I guess first, um, you know, as a consulting company, we you know we hit a lull like a lot of other people back in probably towards the end of 2020 because everything was closed and people really didn't know what to do. A lot of the stuff that we shared was information that we had from uh, people that were uh, associated with, especially in the uh, the legal business, the real estate world. In the insurance world, one of the interesting things that people weren't aware of that had to close their clubs is, you know, they could uh, contact their insurance company and uh, try to get some mitigation with the fees because obviously if you're not open, you're not going to have any risk uh, for uh, liability insurance. So many of these clubs were able to get several thousand, some was even, uh, you know, five to $10,000 in either rebates or uh uh, extended uh, time on their insurance. So you know, we just put together a bunch of these people and we started doing a monthly uh, webcast uh, to whoever would listen and uh, try to get some of the information out. And along with URSA and a lot of other organizations, there was a lot of information out there. But I think the difference that, uh, that Jeff and Bob and I have uh, from a lot of consultants is we actually ran clubs. You know, boots on the ground for years. I had 40 years of experience in running clubs that were not only for-profit but non-for-profit. I built clubs from the ground up. I did two turnarounds for clubs 
um, you know, that were uh, getting ready to fail. So, uh, so I guess that's that's part of it is just trying to help with information, you know, at the beginning of it. And then as we got deeper into it, um, and some states were allowing clubs to open at 10% or 25%, and some of them were calling us and saying, should we even open? And when you look at the dynamics of trying to do that with only 10% of your members coming into the facility, yet you still have to cover, you know, utility costs and lights and turning things on and, and having staff there and the cleaning, it really didn't make any sense. So uh, in a lot of cases, we actually recommend uh, recommended that they didn't uh, that they they didn't reopen. And then as things got a little bit better, it's interesting because we started picking up clients once they started to get to the the fifty percent opening uh, stage because a lot of their staff wasn't going to come back. And one of the things we did early on was to, to make sure that uh, that uh, if you were thinking about reopening, if you knew that was going to happen in a couple of weeks, you better get on the phone and start calling all your staff and make sure somebody's going to be there because it turns out that um, so many clubs had their uh, reception desk, uh, daycare providers, uh, lifeguards, uh, uh, maintenance and janitorial people, they opted to stay home. Now, I don't know what it's like in Australia, but in the United States, uh, a lot of these people can make more money now because the extra the extra COVID money that they're giving everybody in, in addition to their unemployment. So you can actually make more if you were, you know, in the 10 or $12 an hour range uh, by staying home. There's no incentive for these people to work. So everybody is struggling. So we've been doing a lot of work with clubs along those lines to try to help get people back on board, to try to find ways to mitigate the, uh, the staff shortages. Uh, and some of them were, were actually recommending that they get, um, they get volunteers to help out, and they give them a membership. So some of that's uh, some of that's been working, and there's a lot more actually because of the clubs that went went out of business. Twenty seven percent of clubs in the United States have gone belly up, and what that means is that people who are in the business that are thinking about buying a club can now pick one up at like thirty cents on the dollar. Wow. So we're dealing with two clients right now. We're we're trying to find a. Uh, a suitable place for them to uh, to buy a club and uh, and take over one that just went bankrupt and it's it's interesting because I feel bad for these people because they're they put their heart and soul I mean they love this business just like we do and they put their heart and soul into it they build a place they put nice equipment in and then you know a year later COVID hits and their business just goes down the tubes but on the other hand now there's a lot of you know brand new equipment practically that's out there the same thing forty cents on the dollar. Well, that's incredible, Richard. I just want to take a step back just for a moment because, you know, the U.S. sounds very similar to Australia, you know, in, in a lot of ways. So when the clubs closed over there, were club owners able to negotiate with their landlords? Um, did the rent stop for clubs or did they have to pay a percentage? What happened in, with that? Yeah, unfortunately, although a lot of the landlords, uh, and it's interesting because I'm dealing with one of these now with a club in North Carolina. So the landlord um, mitigated the rent and cut it in half, uh, but it didn't go away. They still have to pay it when they get back on their feet. So it wasn't like these people are just, you know, they skipped away without it. And so now this guy is looking at, uh, he has to either face bankruptcy or... Uh, <laughs> Or, uh, or try to pay the rent, which he can't do. 
And even if he pays bankruptcy, he's he's on the hook personally, you know, because all these places make you put a personal guarantee on it. Yeah. Um, so he's really struggling with with what to do. So, you know, my in my opinion, from what I've seen, uh, the banks were pretty good about um, foregoing payments or uh, or cutting payments down. The banks have a little more leeway because they hold. You know they hold all of the debt on the property, yeah. so they can they can be a little more lenient. Unfortunately, a lot of these these landlords they have to pay their banks and stuff, so they can't be as generous. Yeah, I mean it sounds like a very similar story to here. You know the banks were very generous in saying to clubs that they would hold off you know repayments for X amount of time. In some cases, reduce the payments. Same thing here though with the landlords. I speak to a lot of club owners, and a lot of them have got. A you know, this year they've got to play catch up with the rent that wasn't paid last year. So you think about they've lost income. So, you know, where I live in Victoria, we were closed for nine months. So you've got nine months of income that you're never going to recoup. You're not going to recoup that, that income. And then you've got those club owners that are now got to play catch up with their landlord, landlords. So it's sort of, I think it's going to be a really hard journey for a lot of clubs to get back on track. I really see 2021 as a year of where, irrespective of what country you're living in, you really just have to arm yourself with some really good people around you, some really good resources. They're going to help you get through those tough times because I think come Christmas 2021, you're going to see probably more clubs in both the US and Australia close or they're going to be acquired by big names. Richard, we've had the same problem with staff here. You know, through COVID, a lot of, you know, I have to say I lost a few staff who went into early retirement, you know, found a new appreciation for life. And now I'm really struggling to recruit staff because like you said, they make more money sitting at home, collecting government benefits or just working X amount of hours a week. Do you think that globally as an industry that we should just get together and have some type of global movement where we really push it out into the media and encourage people who are looking for a change of lifestyle to perhaps get themselves trained as fitness business professionals? Do we need to do something really huge like that? Because I normally where I get a hundred job applications, you know, for say a receptionist on the front desk, I'm lucky to get five or six at the moment. Yeah, well, I have to say from some of the clubs that we're getting calls from, if you get five or six, that's better than they're getting. Uh, I just talked to a guy today. He's had ads running for, for three months, and he's got he's got uh, what, two or three applicants, and one of the people actually got hired, and after the first day, they quit. They said, oh, this works too hard. I mean, really? You're a receptionist at a desk. They couldn't learn the computer systems or whatever. I, I don't know. Hard, partially, I think it's we've, we've done ourselves a disservice in this industry, too, because most most clubs don't have a real iron boarding uh, and training program for all their new hires, right? So, uh, you know, they shoot, they hire this person, they have them work beside somebody for a day. He should have been trained behind the scenes probably before they stuck them out in the front of you know right in the action. Uh, so I think you know that that's a that's another story uh, about the industry. You're probably right that we need a. Uh, a more comprehensive way that we, we look at our business. Um, I'll, I'll go back one other step too. When it comes to training and, uh, and, and on the upper level, the management of the people, uh, I remember way, way back, I worked for a guru, uh, 
His name was Dale Dibble, who's passed away now, but he had a club called Cedardale, which at the time was one of the top 12 clubs in the country. And one of the things that, uh, that he passed on to me was to make sure you always have a war chest. You should always take some of the net profits that you have and just put them in a bank so there's money in case there's an opportunity, uh, opportunity or a threat. And we actually survived very well um, a, uh, uh, a major recession. It was back in the, now I'm going to date myself, but back in the, uh, the late 80s. Uh, where clubs were going out of businesses, uh, businesses were going out of business, but he had enough money to continue to operate through that, uh, and we emerged from that extremely strong. Uh, the other side of the, the uh, equation here is, um, you know, how do we make our business uh, appeal to, uh, you know, the the gen, uh, the the uh, the Zoomers? I've done a lot of information about the Generation Z, and. Uh, one of the interesting things about them is if you can spread your message about how you're helping humanity and your community and the good things that you do for people, um, and I like to say that you know we're helping pe uh, people build uh, better, stronger lives and live a live a better life, and uh, that that's something that uh, that the Generation Z people really encourage. So if you're going to advertise. I would say one of the things you want to talk about is, is your club's mission and how you're helping your community and helping people live longer, better lives. And they will, uh, they will sometimes choose you versus somebody else. I mean, think about it. If you're going to come in and, and start at minimum wage, which, by the way, nobody in the United States uh, works for minimum wage anymore, but, uh, you know, two or three hours over minimum wage, an entry-level job. Uh, you know, would you rather work at a health club that's, that's dealing with positive things and has a positive uh, lifestyle and friendly members for the most part that are coming in and you're doing you're doing great things for your community, you're giving back, uh, or would you rather go work at a restaurant or a McDonald's or uh, you know uh, Home Depot? I, you know, I think we we have a lot to say, um, and uh, the Generation Z they can really get behind that. It's part of one of the things that motivates them. It's interesting that you say that, Richard, um, because I've got I've got three, I shouldn't call them kids, but three adult uh, children, uh, you know, 30, 35, 33, and 25. And they all say to me that if you find a cause that the younger generation, which you're talking about, the Z generation, if you find a cause that they're passionate about and the club gets behind that cause, that alone will bring foot traffic through your door. So whether it's about recycling, whether it's about um, animals, um, and like you were talking about, you know, humanity, the homeless, find a cause that you, tr you that you do believe in as a club owner, and you'll find that that generation will come in if you're helping bring, um, you know, even if you're fundraising and and bringing more education to the community about those causes, that will bring that generation through the through the door and you're right you know tell them about what your mission is um i think it's really interesting because you're right generations there they're very passionate about that and then if you jump a whole couple of other generations and then you look at the older generation you know, let's go to the 45 plus market these people are very passionate about coming into the club and looking after their own lifestyles making sure that they're going to live longer and stronger and it's almost like you feel compelled to buddy up generation z with our generation because i think both generations can learn from each other and i also think that 
the older generation are also a great generation that we can be re-educating, reskilling, and getting these people as employees into our clubs also. So I can see that the two generations matching up together quite well. Yeah, well, you, you have a good point there. You know, one of the things I talked about a little bit earlier in the podcast was uh, was volunteers, and we have found that there's a lot of retired people out there that just loved. I mean, the last club that I that I managed, we did such a good job about. Uh, with, you know, with communicating the, what we did uh, for the community, 30% of our members actually chose our club over some other club because they they embraced the fact that we were giving so much back to the community. <coughs> Excuse me. And one of the one of the things we we had the seniors do as an example, uh, just to make our club a little bit better than others when it comes to swim lessons. So you have all these kids coming in on a Saturday morning, like 50 or 100 children, right, showing up. And at their first time, especially, they don't quite know where to go and what to do. We had some senior volunteers. We called them, you know, deck coordinators. And they greeted everybody with their clipboards. And they arranged the kids and showed them where to go and talked to the parents. We didn't pay them. We gave them a free membership. But they loved interacting with the families and the children and helping our, our club be, be better than it was. So we, we had one at the front desk directing people. We had another one out on the pool deck. Uh, and it was awesome. I'll give you one more little tip for anybody who's listening when it comes to uh, generating goodwill. Because you know, we all get asked to uh, donate uh, for, for good causes, right? So one of the things we recommend is called a 10 for 10. So they print up a coupon that's good for 10 visits, and they sell these for $10. And so the nonprofit goes out and for their fundraiser, and they sell these, and they'll sell 100 or 200 or 300, whatever it is. They take that two or three thousand. They take all of that money. That's their money. And yet, what we get out of it? We get ten people from the community who normally probably wouldn't come in, and they come in ten times to our facility, and we uh, and we have a uh, you know another uh, lead base for us of, yeah. of several hundred people. So I mean, it's a win for everybody. That's that's a great idea. Um, I quite like that idea. Most clubs in Australia. You know, they do do like 10 visits uh, for $10, but the club keeps the income. They don't donate it to a cause or anything. So I quite like that idea. Let's make a really big jump here, Richard. Let's talk about the future of our industry. So 2021, we see ourselves getting back on our feet. Events are happening virtually. Some are starting to happen live events like you guys are having this week. How do you envisage the next five years in the fitness industry? What do you think... What do you think will be popular? What do you think will be, will fade away? You know, there, there's no question that the, the virtual classes are, are going to continue. Uh, I think that we have not really done a good job of trying to figure out uh, how we can mesh with some of the, uh, the bigger companies, you know, Moss or Les Mills and so on. They're out obviously trying to generate their business on a retail level. Uh, can can we somehow join better with them so that their people can take their classes at our facility in, a, in more of a group setting? Uh, one of the other interesting things that we're working with two different people now uh, that are doing uh, virtual classes, but they're doing it via Zoom, and they're only limiting the classes to like nine or twelve people, so they can actually see uh, the the people. So they 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 can help to. Uh, you know, look at their form and try to, uh, you know, make that personal connection that is the one thing that clubs are, are great at. That's never going to go away. 
uh, having a personal connection. People want to come into our facilities. They want to be with other people. But I, uh, but I believe the virtual classes are, are there to stay, and we just have to do a better job at making it a little bit more uh, personal and not so uh, impersonal. So, um, the uh, you know the the one on one personal training uh, is also going to stay, but I see that becoming less and less a driver of income and uh, and a small group training. That's been on a that's been on the rise for probably at least five, maybe ten years now. But I see a lot more of that happening now. I've also found uh, people love to be outside, and um, the the last club that I managed, we actually were ahead of the game when it came to that because the club grew so quickly. Uh, within the first two years of, of me taking it over, that we couldn't fit everybody inside, and we started putting out uh, our equipment outside. So <clears throat> we had a section of the parking lot and some of the grass in the back that had uh, TRX and it had the tires and it had sleds and it had all kinds of stuff outside. And people love being outside. And we found we could, even in Vermont, we could run classes about six months out of the year out there. So. Uh, I see that, you know, with the distancing and, and all the other stuff that's going on, a lot of clubs have gone outside, and now, and people love being outside, and now that they're starting to reopen, they're bringing the classes inside, I think that's a mistake. It's, it's relatively inexpensive to buy a big tent and, and keep, your, keep some of your equipment under the tent and run classes outside in the fresh air, uh, and even if it rains, if it's under a tent, so what? True. Um, I see that happening. Uh, there's there's a different way to engage and onboard members now uh, that I think uh, when it comes to cleanliness and having your MERV filters and you know all of those types of things it's, it's way more important and that is not going to go away. So do you think? Um, all right. So let me ask you this: You said that 27 percent of clubs have closed so far in the states. Do you expect that number to rise? Well. I unfortunately yes. Uh, I, like I said, the the uh, the clubs that manage to uh, get some kind of mitigation mitigation on their rent, which are mostly the you know the the, the mom and pops that were uh, you know set up in a mall or you know those types of places. Uh, I, I don't see them being able to generate enough revenue to offset the you know the, the five or six or seven months rent that they're that they're going to need, especially opening up with. Uh, you know, 40% less revenue. E even clubs right now that have opened like 100%, um, they're still they're they're still uh, only at 60% uh, revenue. And we're in the summer here in the United States. That's typically a time where uh, clubs slow down anyway. So uh, can they survive for another five months while we hit September and uh, October? I don't think so. I think we're going to find a lot more. Uh, going on here. The only thing that's going to help, and I think I, I've heard about this a little bit in Australia, uh, one of our clients actually was on a corner where there were three other clubs that were very close by, and all of those three clubs have closed. So he's the, he's the last man standing, so he's doing very well right now um, because he's, he's gathered up all those members. So there are going to be places like that that are, uh, there's going to be enough of them that have closed down that uh, they're going to be looking for a club to go to. So some of those clubs will be lucky, but I, I don't know if that number is going to end up being like 35%, but I, I know it's going to be more than 27. So Richard, really, you know, it, it's, 
it's sad to hear that you feel that that number is going to increase. So even like we just spoke about, uh, you know, what's here to stay and what do you think is going to fade away? So even if the clubs are implementing, you know, the virtual classes, uh, they're doing the one-on-one, -on -one, they're doing the small group training, they're doing Zoom classes, they're implementing new programs, to hear that that percentage would still rise is really quite disappointing when you think about it. It's almost like they're putting in this last-ditch effort, but they're not going to survive and they're going to have to shut their doors. I mean, if you had to give advice right now to a club owner who is in that situation, what's the best advice that you could give them? Yeah, well, unfortunately, unless he gets, <laughs> he gets to people to, uh, you know, they raise their dues or get people to work for free. I mean, it's, I think that the, the clubs that do all the things that we just talked about, right? They're, they're, they're doing the virtual, they're doing the, the live, uh, they're, they're doing their training, they've got their good people, they've got enough staff to operate, they're still running swim lessons, they're running quality stuff. Those people are going to be okay. The ones that are on the, the fringes are the ones that weren't ever really doing the right stuff with all of those. And unfortunately, you know, if you don't have any money and you're spending $1,000 or $2,000 a week for group exercise classes, and the only way to try to stay afloat is you have to cut out a third of those classes or half of those classes, that's going to mean you're disappointing a group of people that wanted to go to the other classes. So um, they're, they're, cut, they're caught in a, a terrible catch-22. Um, but I think the clubs that have, have already gone into this with all of the right mindsets and have uh, staff that just is in love with the facility, that have been around, they've got their roots in the community, uh, those, those clubs will be fine. So Richard, let's talk about your role with Active Entities. You're Vice President at Active Entities. Tell me, what are you doing there and tell us all about the event that's going to occur later on this week. <laughs> Yeah, we're, we're pretty excited. I mean, back when we started planning this, I mean, you know how, what it's like. Because I'm sure you plan a lot of big events. You start like four or five months before the thing is going to happen. And we thought for sure that by May, this 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 whole COVID thing was going to be uh, pretty much behind us. And it's it's not. It's surged in a bunch of places. So uh, so it's it's uh, it's a little bit challenging right now. But uh, our our goal was to have the first live. Uh, symposium in probably more than a year um, and hold it in an area that we knew there were a lot of clubs and big clubs and good clubs that would, that would be able to attend. And uh, so we've got a, a lineup of some really, really great speakers and uh, with, with, you know, interesting topics along the lines of what we're just talking about. You know, how do you engage staff? How do you get, how do you get new members? You know, what are you, what about, how, how do design elements affect your excuse me, your facilities. Um, and, uh, and it's going to be a free lunch and there's going to be a, you know, a reception the night before. And so when at the Newtown Athletic Club in Pennsylvania, it's going to be um, uh, two days from now, actually. Uh, it's going to go from about nine to three with the, with the major program. And then there's reception and uh, time afterwards to, uh, uh, to meet with each other and, uh, you know, share best ideas and so on. There's also a small trade show. We've got uh, nine or ten vendors that are going to be there. Some who I think are, are pretty interesting, like we were talking about the uh, the, the design of the facilities and the things you could do to, to be safe. One of them is called Clean Air Technology. 
and they actually have a new technology that uh, that, that cleans your air. And I can't remember you know how, how often it cleans it, but it just it, it's it's made for um, uh, surgical operating rooms, and they could put it into your group exercise studios and other places. And it's just one one of those other things that uh, a member who's deciding to join your club or who's on the fence thinking about coming back in, you show some of these along with other protocols that have been put in place, and they go, well, this place seems safe. I guess I'm going to join. I like that idea. Clean air technology. Uh, Richard yeah. is saying we'll have a booth at the Active Entities event in the next couple of days. Richard, what else is happening with Active Entities? Well, since we started... We started this, uh, you know, posting stuff about this one in Newtown, and we have groups of people calling. We have one from uh, uh, Texas. We have one in Florida who wants us to do one, and we have people now in New England that want us to do one again, do one of these things. So uh, we will undoubtedly choose one or two of these. I mean, it's a lot of work to, to put these on, and that really is not what our company was all about. At, at the time that, you know, I joined it. But, uh, you know, when we look at this and the, uh, the big, uh, you know, companies that, uh, or organizations like the New England Health and Racket Sports Association, which I was the, the president of and on that board for probably 10 or 12 years uh, a while ago, uh, they're gone. And they used to do a bi-monthly small seminar on, you know, maintenance or treadmill repair, you know, all different types of topics. But people didn't have to spend thousands of dollars to fly to some other place to go to this big conference. They could just go for one day, send two or three of their people for like $100, $200, $200, and get a lot of good information. And twice a year, they had a big conference, almost like a mini Ursa conference. But again, they didn't have to spend a lot of money on hotels and flights and all that type of thing because it was a two-day thing usually held within a a two- or three-hour drive. So... Um, so it seems like there's a lot of uh, appetite for, for getting back in touch with other professionals and seeing what everybody is doing and getting away from the, the, the uh, you know, the Zoom meetings and, <coughs> excuse me, the, uh, and, and be with people in person. I mean, you know, we are people a business. We got into this because we like people. I don't want to look at somebody on a screen. I want to see them. I want to see their body language. I want to shake their hand. I want to you know, have that really good intimate discussion with a beer on the table in front of us. And, uh, uh, you know, honestly, in all the conferences I used to go to, and I've been, I went to Ursa almost every year for like 30 years, um, I got more from those. Plus, you build those contacts, right? That's your, that becomes your, like your board of advisors. Yeah. And you know that better than anybody. Yep. The thing about this business that I find that people aren't, who, who don't do very well is they have not taken every opportunity to meet other people who are successful. And I never considered myself a very smart person, I, but I surrounded myself with smart people that knew everything. If I had a question about something, I could pick up the phone and I knew that person would take the, take the call and, and, and talk me through it. Uh, and that's what this industry is all about, helping each other. And so we're doing a lot of that. Some of it's free. I mean, we work with a club in, uh, in Cal- two clubs in California, uh, and the contract ended about three months ago, and we still have weekly meetings with some of their salespeople and their, uh, uh, their uh, personal training manager because we want to help them. And they got, some, they got some good people. We don't want them to be taken out by some other industry. We want them to stay with us. 
I think it's great what you're doing, Richard. I think we talk a lot about, you know, boutique fitness studios opening up. And I look at what you're doing, Jeff and Bobby doing, as being a boutique fitness event. Smaller, more personalized events. Getting suppliers on board where club owners don't have to fight the crowd to get through and to speak to somebody about product. That's, there's more one-on-one, -on -one, there's more networking, everybody becomes more familiar with each other, you know, and then, then they pick up the phone if they've got any issues or problems and they tend to, you know, speak and work through those problems together. I think the opportunities for what Active Entities is doing is absolutely huge and I can um, definitely see you popping up in more, more places than just one, although I'd love to see you go to Dallas because I've got friends there and I'd love to, to shoot over there in 2022 and catch up with them. But I, I see Active Entities as a breath of fresh air to the fitness industry globally and I think that there's immense opportunities not just for club owners but you know new suppliers coming into the industry that need a helping hand. I think that you have so much to offer and we're very, very lucky that you've all gone ahead and launched Active Entities. Um, the only thing, the time zone stuff is absolutely killing me at the moment. So your 9am to 3pm, Richard, is my midnight to 5am. So I'll do my best to jump on board in a couple of days. Now, you've heard Richard talk about the event that's coming up Wednesday, Thursday, USA time. Richard, if people want to jump on and be part of the event live, what's the best thing for them to do right now? Well, I don't think it's possible because they'd have to fly here. This is an event. We are going to, um, we have hired a, uh, a person to, uh, you know, he's going to record the whole thing. Whether we post any of that or some of those later on, I'm not sure. But this was, this was designed to be a live in-person event. So uh, there's really not much of a way for anybody to, to catch up uh, to that. But... Uh, but we can, uh, you know, the good thing about having somebody from, from you know, where you are uh, and with all your contacts, I mean, we could certainly arrange uh, to do some, some other podcasts or webinars uh, or maybe even if you uh, take certain questions from people that want to know answers where instead of talking at like 12,000 feet in the air like we did today, uh, although I think I gave you a couple little little things that were, you know, boots on the ground, I guess. But we could we could maybe do something, you know, take four or five questions and try to get some of our people on and do uh, do a real. I mean, unfortunately, it might have to be a Zoom, but um, but we could we could do something like that and get some get some real dialogue going. I mean, it would be great to do the active entities virtual tour. And perhaps get a couple of people, you know, like yourself, Jeff and Bobby, and then get a couple of other global experts on. And then, yeah, we could absolutely do a live show and perhaps get some sponsors behind us in the suppliers that are going to be at your event. And then what we can do is we can do the live virtual event and then we can give people the recordings as well. So they've got permanent education there. So I think that's a great idea. And I look forward to organizing that after your event this week. Now, Richard, we do have to come to uh, the end of our podcast and I do appreciate your time this morning but please do tell our listeners where can they get in touch with you okay just uh, best way is email and it's rich r-i-c-h at activeentities.com and active entities is a-c-t-i-v-e-e-n 
T-I-T-I-E-S. So rich at activeentities.com. Thank you, Richard. This morning I spoke to Richard Sinop, Vice President at Active Entities, and today's podcast was proudly supported and sponsored by FitRec Fitness Registration for Fitness Professionals. I'll drop all of Richard's details in the bottom of our podcast, and we'll catch up with Richard and the crew from Active Entities in the weeks to come. Thank you, Richard. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Mm -hmm.